This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we're on the phone with Ben Berard out of Cecilia, Louisiana, and we're going over preseason prep. We've got seven days until bow opener. What do we need to do to get in order to make sure that we're ready for day one? Talking about gear, talking about hunting spots, talking about weather that we need to hunt the spots that we're thinking. So it's going to be a great episode. This episode is brought to you by Relentless Boats out of Thibodeau, Louisiana. If you're looking for a full custom premium line boat builder for your surface drive, your outboard, definitely check out Relentless Boats. You won't be disappointed. Fully custom boats, every single option you could ever want in a boat. So y'all check them out at RelentlessBoatsLA.com. All right, guys, we're on the phone with Ben Berard out of Cecilia, Louisiana, and today we're going to be talking about preseason prep. We got a seven-day countdown. The season opens on October 1st, which is a Tuesday. It's next Tuesday, and uh, Ben's going to be walking us through some of his preseason prep, and Locke is going to be chiming in when he feels like it also because he is 12 and a half hours into a 14-hour drive back from missouri right now <laughs> i'm in louisiana though well, that's good man. I'm in louisiana doing the louisiana bow hunter podcast so how it out perfect. how far into missouri were you i was in the very very northwest corner like just miles uh maybe five six miles from uh the missouri river and kind of really near where kansas and nebraska kind of come together right there on the other side of the river and then not very far i don't know exactly maybe 10 or 15 at the most south of iowa so just 
tucked right up in the northwest corner. Wow, that's awesome, man. So you had a uh, you had a, a hunt that you did, and then you left. Wait, I think you left on Friday. Coming back now, tell us about it. So I actually left on Wednesday night, Wednesday evening last week. I was gonna go hunt. So if you're not aware, the season up there opens on the fifteenth, and the idea and the plan was to hunt soybean fields because early in the season, um, you know, those deer get really patternable and, uh, they hit those soybeans, even the mature bucks, the bigger bucks, basically everything is in the soybeans and you can catch them in daylight and you can catch them still in those summer patterns. Well, uh, everything it seems like has been in a heat wave and it was in the nineties and it was just, a lot of unfavorable situations. So I pushed back and I left on the 18th and that was not the best decision because the beans are turning yellow and around based, just based off trail cam pictures, the farms I was hunting somewhere around the 17th, the bean, the deer just stopped hitting the beans in the daylight completely. So, um, I actually drove all night Wednesday, got really got there Thursday and, uh, made my first hunt Thursday afternoon and hunted through yesterday evening. And so, you know, basically to make a, a, a three or four day hunt short, we, we still hunted the beans in the afternoons, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Friday and Saturday morning. We actually hunted some, um, areas where kind of tucked back in the timber where we were kind of trying to intercept deer coming off of the beans in, you know, before daylight and coming back to the bed. And that actually worked because Friday morning and Saturday morning, both mornings, I had a mature, big mature buck in bow range coming back to bed within 30 minutes of daylight. But I didn't get a shot at either one of them because one of them, it just was too thick. It just walked straight through and never could get an open shot. It was in, it was in range, but it's just very, very green, very, very thick. Um, the other one just used the wrong trail came in behind us and you know i got a cameraman or use the right trail i guess it depends oh, yeah, on, yeah. yeah i guess from his yeah. perspective yeah. he came in exactly <laughs> correct because he was gonna die but uh he yeah he slipped in right behind us and uh you know i had a cameraman in the tree with me so i had a shot at him at one point we couldn't get him on camera and then he finally kind of came around and he was directly behind me and the cameraman's videoing him, but he's directly behind the tree from me, and I have no opportunity to shoot him, and he eventually got downwind of us behind us, and he eased off. But in the afternoons, we weren't seeing anything. So yesterday, it actually rained yesterday morning, and the temperature went from high 80s to 62 degrees yesterday afternoon with a north wind. So you're talking about a really awesome feel. Yeah. Uh, really good way to kind of get the juices flowing for – for deer season to get to sit and we, we we just moved to the other side of a farm and got down in the woods where there was some uh some acorns falling and we said you know what these deer they're feeding on something it's not the beans but you know inevitably if it's gonna cool off 15 to 20 degrees the deer are gonna they're gonna feed on something so we just kind of took a shot in the dark went to a stand spot where um the cameras that were running on the beans on that side of the farm were getting a lot of deer activity and like, well, maybe they're just hitting these acorns before day, before dark, before they come to the bean fields. And they're just kind of staging up out in these woods with all these 
all these acorns hitting the ground. So we did that, and that worked out real well. We we had early, you know, much earlier than any other movement. We had does coming through. Had a coyote come through and run the does off. And wood settled back down and had uh, a whole herd of deer come up through there and i was able to kill a nice buck he's he's a uh he's you'll see the video come out here pretty soon but he's really interesting deer he's one that it's not what i went you know i during the summer i planned this whole thing out with the idea that i was going to go kill a nice velvet buck you know early season and and as as the rest of the trip went things kind of got off schedule with all that and the deer had lost their velvet and uh but i got the next best thing i got this crazy looking deformed deer which in my book if i'm not going to kill a real trophy i want to kill something kind of unique yeah, you know, he's got a lot kinda, of character man yeah he's got one horn and we know this deer uh my buddy tyson uh with harris outfitters up there he's got this deer last year and he was two or three last year and uh he was smaller but he still had this same crazy one side his horn it comes up to about the bottom of where the brow tine is and then it turns and grows straight back towards the back of his head across the skull plate and then when it gets to the back of his skull then it curves up and tries to turn it's really weird looking and and i've taken pictures of him from multiple angles and you really can't capture exactly with a camera i can't get an angle that really captures how weird this thing is so i was pretty pumped i mean it was cool man i mean 10 yards just you know double long ran 75 yards piled up just typical typical successful you got a video? video oh yeah great video nice that's awesome man. nice nice so, so when you're so, when you're hunting up there like that are you um are you hunting pre-hung sets or y'all hanging on when you get there or what um we did a little bit of both so the deer that i told you the, the deer I, the, the deer that uh that i killed he had hung that set a week ago but he hung it he didn't hunt he didn't hang it for us he hung it just getting prepared for his season you know he doesn't have he doesn't typically do early season hunt so he's got guys coming in later in october and this was a set he hung on this hardwood ridge because that area is usually good pre-rut Mm because the deer cruise through there so it was hung recently but it wasn't for us now the deer that i told you slipped in on us and got behind us we actually went thursday morning i i got there two or three o'clock in the morning so we didn't hunt and middle of the morning we went into a, a block of timber to hang a set for us to hunt. And when we went in there, we saw a big shooter, a big deer, and uh, kind of got him up out of an area. We thought they'd be bedding. We moved to stand in there. We stayed out for a day and a half and went back. And I don't know, um, Tyson said he didn't think that the buck that we videoed was that same buck. He said it, he got a better look at it when we were in there moving the stand than I did. And he said it looked like a different deer. But nevertheless, that situation worked. Um, the other spots we hung were the, that we hunted were spots that he's just had. I mean, this is all family farm property of his and, uh, you know, all spots that he's just traditionally had success over these crop fields and such. That's so. awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you had a good hunt. I can't wait to see that deer in person, man. That's cool. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't, I didn't cool. see a picture yet. I'd like to see that. Yeah. I can't wait for the video to come up. Yeah. We'll yeah. Put- I'll have it out. I'll have it out on Scree's YouTube channel, and then I'll post it on my stuff. And Kyler, you can share it with Louisiana Bowhunter. It's it's a he's pretty interesting looking looking buck. Nice. Well, uh, let's get on to this week's episode, um, which is 
uh, about preseason preparedness, right? We've got seven days until bow opener, October 1st, uh, for the majority of the state. And, um, which, which in a way is, is, uh, kind of bad because, you know, a lot of people won't make it on a Tuesday or a weekday for a bow opener, but at the same time, you have an entire weekend left to prepare for it. So Ben, um, tell us a little bit about what your plans are this week, man, and what you're, what you're thinking about bow opener. I actually just finished shooting and I hung a set, I hung a little practice set because I just got a new stand and I got a, a XOP stand. I, I, I wanted to try it out. So trying to get that dialed in and trying to figure out how I'm going to pack up my sticks. And <clears throat> then I, I got a, a new bow last week, so I'm, I'm still trying to dial that in. Nice. So, you know, it's just nonstop. Nice, man. Getting it's... stuff ready. And then we're running out of time quick, so. So what uh what sticks are you going with this year with your XOP? I'm using the same hawk sticks that I that I normally use. The like the original heliums? Yeah, the original the first heliums that came out with uh with the the straps and everything. Not the cuz they they put new straps on their on the new sticks, right? Yeah, so they went to like a Versa button system um with yeah. the, the looped ends on the on the straps. So are you still hunting with them with the original like steel bracket? You hadn't done any mods to the sticks? No, no, I didn't do anything to them at all. Okay. Nope. Um but uh all right, so you got XOP sticks, sorry, XOP stand, hawk sticks and uh now tell us exactly. I mean like to the the minute coordinate exactly where you're hunting like the tree what tree are you going to be <laughs> <laughs> well it is a, it, it's a cypress tree i can tell you that and uh it's in a slough so nice. <laughs> that's about well, that all I, it down. I mean i mean everybody everybody's going to be there now i think uh i think yeah. you just get yeah just they're going to be it. looking for a cypress tree with a okay with a slough i mean it's so the the if i had to guess a cypress tree in a slough in the achafalaya basin right Yep. So yep. you got it. I mean, we just we just ruined everything for you, man. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. so you've got you've been sending me some trail cam pictures of some deer you've been seeing does and bucks, um, and uh, you got a lot of daylight pictures right now. So what are you doing to make sure that you're not overpressuring these deer to hopefully get a shot at one uh, opening day? Well, when I went I went check the camera that was. Actually, I had three cameras out, and I went check the first one um, two weeks ago, and it was about that. It was probably out for like three weeks or a month that to get. Mm-hmm. And um, I went check it, and I, I it was it was a it was a it's a crossing in a slough, and there's a huge thicket by it. Like you, you you probably can't even walk in it. I mean, I wouldn't want to walk in it. If anybody wants to walk in that, that's, I mean, they can go walk in it, but I, I wouldn't want to walk in it. But mm-hmm. um, I think what they're doing is they're skirting the, the they coming out of bed and they're skirting and they're crossing the snow right there. Well, anyway, I went, I walked up and it was late in the afternoon. I probably shouldn't have went. It was probably 5.30. I got off a little early, so I went, I went, pulled a card and I checked the first two videos, two or three videos and, it was bucks in daylight, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So uh, let me hang, let me uh, let me pull the camera out. I pulled the camera, and because I wanted to look at everything, you know, I had probably thirty videos, mm-hmm. so I wanted to look at everything. So I just went ahead and pulled everything out, and I didn't want to be back there, you know, putting my scent. I was back there for probably 
two minutes, maybe, after I realized what was on it. So, I mean, that was probably too long right there, you know. So I pulled the camera and I went back and then I checked it. And then um, I went last week, I pulled the other two cameras. And this is really funny. Me and you talked about this. You know, people say right now a buck isn't going to move. They aren't going to move far, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say they're not going to move 100. You know, they might move 100 yards from where they live during the summer pattern. And um, I checked that camera and that same bachelor group, there's one. He's probably he's probably three, three and a half, if I had to guess. And then there's two other ones that are probably two-year-olds. And that same bachelor group, they were, um, what was it? Like I said, like 940 yards, 1,000 yards I measured on the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> that same bachelor group, they were two days later, they were they were 1,000 yards away in daylight, just roaming around, eating acorns and you know, that's like I told you, that's that's a bit buster right there. I mean, some, you know, I'm sure some deer are different. Some bastard groups are probably different. Some some bastard groups probably hunker down and, and don't move. But at some point, they're going to move and wander off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, th- I think it's food availability. I think one of the things that we all do when we're analyzing our hunting situation, whether it be like this conversation where we're talking about uh, preseason you know, getting ready for that first hunt and what's going on early season or whether it's we're trying to figure out what to do during the rut. We, I think too often we forecast what's going on based on things that, that maybe don't really apply to where we're hunting. And what I mean by that is if you go like where I just was in the Midwest, they don't move very far because they don't have to. Oh, because yeah. They're, yeah. they're it's totally fields. different. They, they, they live in but one if, area and then like, like you said, they were going to the beans yeah. and, they're going to the they're beans gonna, and they're going back to bed. Yep, they're and, gonna, that's that's what they're gonna do. And I think you got to look at where you're at. If you're in a if you're in a spot, and I mean I don't know your spot, but I'm just saying if you're in a spot where their primary food source is natural browse, they've got to move to find enough natural browse to get those calories and get that that daily food oh, yeah. intake. They're gonna Definitely. have to move further. You just got to think about that's your a area. lot of what it is. Is it's just browse. Like it's they, they're not. No, I'd say 90% of their diet back there, probably probably 85, 80% maybe, of their diet is just greens, you know. It's, it's full of yeah. browns. Well, I think it's a good, that's a good point. Like, it's a good thing to consider is you read stuff on the internet or in a magazine or, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Don't don't assume just because, you know, th- this thing that you saw is telling you that this is how you, you know, don't, don't hunt the way somebody's telling you because your situation oh, no. might be totally different. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And especially down here, man. I mean, down here in South Louisiana, it's, y- y'all know it's, it's totally different than, cause I mean, we, we go to Missouri every year. We've been, we went two years now and it's, man, it's, it's just, it's a totally different ball game. It's yeah. not even, yep. it's, it's totally different animals that you hunt. Well, I've, I've never, I'll admit I, I've never done an out-of-state whitetail hunt. Uh, I've never done what you just finished doing, Locke. Uh, you know, Ben. I know y'all go up to Missouri pretty often and do a public land thing. Um, I've never done one. I've never had the opportunity to do it. I've also never prioritized it even either. You know, um, you need to try, man. You you would like it. It's, I, uh... I'm going this year. Um, my buddy Chad Abair is—he's uh, invited me 
to go to Illinois with him. He's got some farms up there that he hunts and it's, you know, set up very similar to what Locke said he just hunted, which is, you know, you've got ag fields, soybeans, and then you have slivers of woods where the deer are or they're out in the middle of the field. And um, I'm, I'm pumped about it because, it, you know, mentally, like approaching that from a, like a str- strategic standpoint, I've never hunted anywhere where the deer could only be in like one yeah. certain area. You know, I thought yeah. I thought about something the other day. I was, I was thinking about this conversation right here, and 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 that, kind of an analogy that came to my mind in my experience. When you go and you start, you know, going into the into the woods and you're scouting, even if you're just scouting in and out of your stand and that kind of stuff. When you go up in the Midwest, if you're a lifelong hunter in the South, where we hunt, you know, we don't have the ag fields and the small box of timber we have large tracts of woods where the deer can walk and go everywhere you know um it's like you're scouting just imagine what you do at home imagine doing it under this humongous hypothetical magnifying glass yeah because everything is so much more visible like you you can see the trails you can see the the topography it all lays out especially if you're like you're going Kyler. i know y'all are going later in the fall especially if you go once the the crop fields are cut because that cuts their land down even more mm-hmm. that yeah, really that, pushes that, that them into the woodlots like probably 10 times as much you know they, they yeah so you you can easily see where you know those funnels those pinch points they become like i said it's like it's like your 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 local scouting if you could hypothetically do that under a humongous magnifying glass, that to me, that's what the Midwest is about. It doesn't always equal success, but it equals it. It 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 takes a lot of the guesswork out of it because you feel a lot more confident in the decisions yep. you're making because you can clearly see the objective behind your scouting and what you're doing. Like yeah. when you set yeah. up, you know yep. what's what's interesting um, is Illinois. The rifle hunting is is not legal there. Um, you can do. Um, I think it's a slug shotgun only. I I don't even think they have a muzzleloader, but I'm not really that familiar. But isn't it like one week or so, or one one weekend or something like that? It's very short. It's like ten days or two weeks. Yeah, it's not long at all. So um, what Chad told me was that when uh, the deer get overpressured, like if you overhunt an area, they'll just live out in the middle of the field. Like they'll they'll even after the field's cut, like barren field, frozen cornfield, they will just pile up in the center. Because you yep. can't get within can't get three, four, or five hundred yards of them, you know uh, that's even worse. I'd rather not see a deer than see all of them at four hundred yeah. yards, you know. But um, yeah. anyway, so I'm I'm excited about doing out of state, um, and I, you know, I've, I've been saying for a while now, and it's been confirmed by a lot of people that do it that if you can get proficient at killing deer in Louisiana, you can kill a deer anywhere on this planet. Um, absolutely, you know, absolutely, yeah. Not, so not not that far from the truth for sure so um you know back to gear and and prep and all of that stuff so you have your opening day spot in your head already right now right yep yep so is that's it, that's pending on the weather and the wind and so, i'll probably end up being like a um like a northerly wind or a southwest wind would probably it would probably actually be better because it would almost be in in their favor mm-hmm. if they if they would come out of bed, mm-hmm. and I would I would barely, I would barely cut their, 
I barely cut the wind. Gotcha. Yeah, it's an early season like this. I, I'm if I remember from past couple of first few weeks of seasons we generally get south southwest or southeast winds um and uh and it's not until we start getting those first cold fronts that it's it switches around out of the north but you know this is one thing though i remember last year opening day we had a weird west wind uh, all well, we had a first... last year we had a lot of westerly winds there were a lot of west winds yeah it, it was weird because Nobody. Like I noticed, with especially with duck hunting, I mean, we duck hunt a lot. And, uh, one of our holes that we hunt, if if there's a northwest wind, they just don't cooperate mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And we had, a, I remember having a lot of west winds, and because I mean, they didn't set up right. You know, they wouldn't come in. Yeah, it, it was a uh, it it was an odd year for that. I remember we even talked yep. about it about two thirds of the way through the season, like we had had. You know, sometimes you have a week in a row of straight hard west wind. You know, yep. west to east. Um, but uh, so you're looking for a south to southwest wind in your spot, and um, you know, what about a plan B? Um, what's plan B for you? Man, if, if if that doesn't work out, then if I don't if I don't get that, um, you, the the other spots where I had the cameras, it's it's. It's pretty much I need the same wind. I almost need a north wind more than anything because I'm walking in. Yeah. Where the way I'm walking in is, if I would walk in with a south wind, right? There, I think they live. In, I say I think they're living. I know where the bucks are living, and where those other two cameras at. It's more of a doe. It's more of a doe population right there. There's a lot of does. I actually saw like last year they had like ten does that ran through the woods around the rut, and I thought a buck was chasing them, but. Apparently they were just they were just moping around, you know. But um, yeah, if I, I I think that those are living further in the back corner right there, mm-hmm. and if I would walk in with the south wind, I mean they would everything would go straight to them. Everything. I got you. Yeah. So um, as far as as far as other pieces of equipment and making sure you're prepared, like what are you doing as far as your clothes go, scent control, boots, things like that? Are are you are you um like do you separate out the your hunting clothes and boots from your scouting clothes and boots? Um, yeah, what I do is I um probably actually probably this weekend I'll, I'll wash everything and send free or whatever the send free uh, detergent and all that, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll put everything in a big box, one of those big totes that you can get from Academy, and I'll put like some earth sand or some uh, some baking soda and. And then I'll wear that and I'll wash it, you know, I'll, I'll refresh it throughout the year, you know, yeah. after every weekend. Um, what about, uh, what about your bow, man? You, I know you just got a brand new bow. Um, which you, what did you get? The Traverse? No, I got the Verdict. The Verdict. Yeah, the I verdict ended up getting works. the Verdict. It was between that and the Triax. And I like the Triax because it was sharp and it was maneuverable, you know, but I mean, I got, I'm I'm six one and I got long arms, so mm-hmm. I ended up going with the vertex just because it's a longer bow. You know, I can, you know, it's more comfortable for me. It's just a longer bow. I yeah, got yeah. long. It, it fits me better than a than a triax. I got you. So um, so you got a brand new bow. You're all set up. Did you did you make any changes with arrows or broadheads or anything this year? I did. I uh, I got the carbon hex. I mean, uh, eastern hex mm-hmm. arrows. I had the the red maximus, and um. I'm thinking about switching broadheads. I, last year I shot the um, 
the Nap Spitfires. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about switching to the Wasp Jackhammers. Yeah. The Infinite Quarter. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I I got it in my head that if I shoot a smaller a smaller um, mechanical broadhead, you know, like a smaller diameter and a three blade, you know, it, it, I just feel like it would put a better hole in. It. Yeah. The instead of a gash, you know what I mean. Now the hex, those are like the super light Eastons, aren't they? Yeah, I got uh, I got the three thirty instead of the uh, instead of the four hundred. Now, do you know do you know what your total arrow weight is? You have any idea? No, I don't. Okay, no. so um, I, uh, I I I switched to fixed blades a couple of years ago. Um, be, well, I, it was when I went to Alaska. I didn't want mechanicals on my caribou hunt, and and so when I got back, I had all these broadheads left over because I didn't I didn't kill a caribou, and uh, <laughs> and so um, anyway, uh, I I was shooting with them out to like 80, 85, 90 yards, something like that. With uh, but I was shooting FMJs and I was shooting fixed blades, and um, and when I got back, I I put those fixed blades onto my I was shooting gold tip um, velocity three forties and my total hunting arrow weight with a, um, a, a nocturnal was uh, 383 grains, which is a very light arrow. Um, I yeah. think there's a lot of people listening right now that are at the, like the 450 and maybe even like closer to the 500 grains grain total weight mark. And, um, for me, uh, I was, before I switched, um, to the fixed blades, I was shooting the, um, the jackhammer. I was shooting those. It's a and for anybody not familiar with Wasp, um, think about a Grim Reaper, but with a O ring rather than the um, the uh, spring spring, s- spring system. Yeah, yep. spring collar. Yep. So it's a it's a forward deploying broadhead, um, and it has really thick blades. I will say, like the blades on them are easy to change out. You can buy replacement blades. They don't bend very easily. I really enjoyed shooting them, but when I was shooting like super light arrows. It, I was losing a lot of penetration, not with like that broadhead, because I shot T3s from G5. I shot NAP Spitfires. Like any mechanical, I was just having a little too much, um, too much momentum loss. But it was because I was shooting a light arrow, because I I personally like speed. I think we haven't really talked in depth about it. I like speed. I think in order to kill something, you have to first hit it, you know. Yep. Um, and yep. and so. Um, I don't know what the total grain weight of the hex is, um, but I was shooting at the time 315 feet per second, 383 grain arrow, and I was about one out of four deer getting a full pass through with the mechanical. And when I switched to fixed, I haven't had a non-pass through since. Um, Now, that's just my experience. That's not gospel. That's just, you know, ever since I switched to fixed blades, I've shot about... 10 or 11 deer since then. But um, the jackhammer is a fantastic broadhead. You just might need an arrow with a little more weight to get your full potential out of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're under 400 grains or like 395 or something in your total grain weight, um, you depending on how fast your bow shooting them, you may want to uh, look into something different. But then again, you're not shooting at like a two inch cut, you know. He's like you said, one and a quarter is not, not um, unreasonable. So um, yeah, anyway. I'd rather. I mean, and I've shot, I've shot raids and like Chris, he shoots the, 
is the nap the um the I can't think of the name. It's the nap. regular two blade. It's the um yeah. on the Spitfire. Is the you know you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the rear deploying. It's the slip can the slip the slip yeah uh, blade ones. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name and, of them right now. And it, it it puts a gash. You know, like it puts a it puts a big long gash in them. Mm-hmm. And you know it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I mean, Chris shoots. He shot probably five or six deer with that that broadhead, and I mean I've shot deer with the rage and the nap, and I just I'm I'm starting to get to the point where I want to put a hole in them and not a gash, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, I I can tell you like from from my experience, it's been mentioned on this podcast, and I just did it again yesterday. I I, I wish I had kept count, but that's something like twenty plus deer and hogs that I've shot with a Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. out of three or four different bow setups, numerous different arrow setups. And they, you know, one of the things I attribute to that is the, the, that big, um, I don't know what they call it, trocar, but it's that muzzy style, big head that's on the Grim Reaper broadhead. Oh, the, the, that, yeah. uh, that sharp feral tip. Yeah. It's got mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's got that big, you know, big heavy cut tip it, instead of a, Instead of a light gashing tip, it's got a pounding bone crushing tip. And, you know, granted, the deer I shot yesterday was 10, maybe 12 yards. And it literally, like, it went through the deer and stuck eight inches into the dirt on the other side. And it went through him so fast, I'll have to slow the video down just for you to kind of get the effect of what happened. But it's the same thing. You know, there's a, a, a really good exit hole. And just a, you know, a really solid entry hole and a really big exit hole and absolutely just blood everywhere. And mm-hmm. I've had that, yep. I've had that, like I said, for the better part of 10 years, really since Grim Reaper came out. And I've had it in numerous bows on numerous different arrows. And it's the reason I was a diehard fixed position or fixed blade uh, broadhead guy. I shot muzzies and uh tinkered with other fixed position heads mostly muzzies and, until i started shooting reapers and um you know i you know to your point Kyler, i've i've shot different arrow weights but i kind of hang out between 380 and 400 with most of the different air setups i think i'm i'm shooting victories mm-hmm. uh those victory rips and i think i don't know exactly what they have but they're going to come in somewhere close to 400 and you know i have a shorter draw length so i my my i'm shooting the hoyt helix uh bow and i think it we we chronoed it at 305 and it's about the fastest shooting bow i've had wow uh what's your draw yeah. length the 20 you, you is your 20, draw length even 28 27 and a half 27 and a half dude 27 and a half shooting 305 is that's it's, nothing to joke about well yeah and i mentioned to yeah, you we talked we've talked about this a lot um in different conversations about about the advancements of the vertical bow right mm-hmm. well you know i've been shooting hoyt for a while and i shot pse some before that and i'm one of those guys that at least every other year but oftentimes every year i get a new bow just more so out of habit than necessity i, I readily admit i just enjoy it so i get a new bow but um <laughs> you know oftentimes over the last decade i've gotten a new bow and it wasn't worse than the one before but there wasn't that much difference right i mean they just mm-hmm. didn't i'm i'm an i like the aluminum riser bows i'm not i've not been a fan of the carbon riser bows um i i mean i like 
it's interesting. I like to shoot them a time or two, just to, the shorter axle to axle bows, the carbon riser bows, all these different things that they do. I, I don't mind shooting them, but as far as just when it gets right down to what I'm most comfortable with, I like a bow that comes in around 32 to 34 axle to axle with an aluminum riser. So there's a little bit more weight and the Hoyt aluminum riser bows have been doing that for the better part of the last five or six years. Now getting to my point this year with the helix, I've gone up 20 to 30 feet per second on the same setup, just a newer bow, you know, uh, now they've changed, they've changed a few things. So I guess I could just say that, you know, there is a plateau effect going on in the vertical bow market, but for me personally, and the way I've got my bow set up, going from the Hyperforce to the Helix has been an upgrade, at least in speed. That's awesome. Yeah. So when and you... I can pull, and I can pull more. I'm pulling more, like the draw cycle on it. I'm pulling 72. I think Jay had it on 72 pounds or something, and I'm drawing it back, and and I'm like, it feels just like my other one that was on like 65, 66 pounds. And he puts it on the weight thing, and I'm like, there's no way. And he's like, yep, that's that's the difference in draw cycle. That's cool. So Man. when when you're shooting, you're shooting a light, a relatively light arrow. Um, you know, you're not. It's not slow. Three hundred five is certainly not slow, especially for hunting arrow. I think there's a lot of people listening that would love to be at over three hundred. But um, my question is, is you said out of the last twenty deer you killed has been with reapers. Do you, can you have? Do you have any any memorable? hunts or shots where you wish you got more penetration or you didn't make it all the way no. through so that you're getting I, I, blow throughs i've either i've either passed completely through or the arrow's been sticking out on the other side and eventually fell out yeah. you know or i mean it it's i've i've broke through both sides of the deer in one way or the other and that includes shoulder blades rib shots i mean i've i've gone through bone to like i said not all of them have blown through you know, 100% clear stuck in the ground on the other side. But, um, you know, I've shot a couple of deer where I went through bone going in and coming out and the arrow was sticking 60, 70% out the other side of the deer when he ran off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. If I, if I went back to mechanicals, if I had a reason and, and and I'll I'll say this, I'm not so stubborn to say I'll never, I'll never do something again. But if I went back to mechanicals, it would probably be to the Grim Reaper because, yeah. um, and and it wouldn't even be some you know it wouldn't even be like the Whitetail Two or some massive cut or anything like that. It would just be a um, a decent uh, you know one and a half, one and a quarter, one and three eighths, something like that. Because any if there's any lesson I have learned with a fixed blade is I have lost fewer deer since I've moved to a fixed blade, and I've gotten more pass through since I've gone to a fixed blade, and it's because of a, a simple principle. I would rather have two medium sized holes on either side of the deer than one big hole or no big hole on one side of the deer. And, yeah, right. And, yep. And, yep. You're right. You know, and and so, um. You know, Locke, you made a, a uh, you made a, an argument when we were on the phone last week that um, it was a, a we won't dive off too hard into it, but it was a um, a relationship between um, you know crossbows uh, being similar to convenient. Well, no, yeah, conv- okay, yeah, that was the point you were making. It it was that um, mechanical broadheads with massive cuts like two and a half inch or bigger or something like that can make up for either poor, poor shot placement 
intentional or non-intentional or lack of preparation or lack of bow tuning or or something where if it's it's an insurance policy that's why people buy it yeah. it's it's an insurance yep. policy on your shot where you know if you um if you are shooting a smaller broadhead and you don't have as much um cut width or cut diameter you have to be more precise you have to be more surgical with it you don't have that Oh, if I get close, I'm good. Um, and so there's benefits, uh, there's pros and cons to both sides of that. You know, you never want to become complacent while deer hunting. That's the great way to eat humble pie is say, oh, I, you know, I got this, you know, or I'm good. I've got a two and a half inch cut. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's when the bad, that's, that's when you get, yeah, that's, I mean, lucky and, well, it, yeah, bad it luck makes and, me, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it makes me cringe because, a lot of these outdoor personalities that you're seeing on outdoor hunting television now, they even talk that way openly. The guys that are sponsored by Rage, yeah. you know, they make comments about the shots they make on camera and some of their blood trails. And they're talking about how that shot only worked out for them because of how well the Rage performs and, and things to that nature. And, you know, my comment about the crossbow specifically, but it, it's completely applicable to what you just said, Kyler. My comment was simply that a lot of guys that shoot a lot and all that, that life gets in the way and they go to a mechanical over a fixed head broadhead because they can shoot. They, it doesn't take as much tuning and preparation. They can get their bow shooting good and confidently because you can screw up six. You can screw a uh, expandable broadhead on and practice with it a little bit. And it's going to fly like your field points. Yeah. If you're shooting a fast, high performing bow and you put a big fixed position head on there, you're probably going to have to spend twice or three times the amount of time making, if you're doing it the right way, making sure that every time you let that arrow go, that it's flying just like you're expecting it to. And you're not getting some drift every third or fourth shot or something like that. But the same thing can be said for the insurance policy too. I mean, it's, you know, Hey, I can miss three inches back in the rib cage and I'm still going to catch everything I want to catch. Cause this thing's cutting you know, gashing such a big hole, and the, yeah, that's you're asking for trouble. If that's yeah, your mindset, slicing everything. And I mean, when it goes in there, it's you think about it. If you know, if, if you get a cut, and you keep moving your finger or something, just to see you cut your finger. If, if you keep moving your finger, it's gonna open up more. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you if want, the deer is you running, push. it's just gonna keep opening. I'll tell you something about the deer I shot yesterday, and I keep going back to that because it's just fresh in my mind, but. One of the things that I loved about it, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking this this uh, comment up off of some of the things that you said, Ben, that broadhead on the exit hole, the amount of just crap that was pushed out of the hole because of the force of that broadhead is devastating. As opposed to something that just cuts, all it does is slice its way in and slice its way out if it ever gets out, right? And all it does is open yeah, them up. Exactly. Yep. With with that with with my shot, I mean, it, I was literally blowing matter out of the exit hole. You know, just a a wound channel, not just a cut, a channel. Yeah, and I it think was that cutting that's everything. Really important. And when it came out, it was almost pulling everything out with. It. And I, and I then, tell you something once it else. Comes out, it, there's a hole. I mean, it's, yeah, it's gonna dump I, out. You know. I tell you something else that, and I I can't say this like factually, but I, I can say it from experience. I don't know what the science behind it is. But I've shot deer with a rage, 
and I've shot deer where I just did, I, you know, just pass through soft tissue. And when you do that, they can run, brother. They can go. When they just got a cut hole in them, oh, they yeah. can go. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. That, that deer I shot yesterday, that's a lot of force. And when I hit him, he hopped about 30 or 40 yards and stood there until he died, basically. He, he walked off about 20 more and laid down. But still, there was a lot of shock to that animal, and it put him down. If all you do is cut him open, he's going to run till he bleeds out. And that might, you know, hunting down here in the south around these thickets and sloughs and stuff like you're talking about, if he runs until he bleeds out, that might make, a, you know, for a long night for you. Well, look. Oh, yeah. Ben, oh, yeah. Ben, was it last year that you killed that deer on that hunt I took you on, or was that two years ago? That was two years ago. Okay. Yep. So – Lock, we were that was that was a that was a hypodermic that was a range hypodermic yeah so so um this is a you brent make a good point lock because we were hunting we were hunting no joke 75 acres of woods okay 75 acres of woods palmetto swamp bottom tupelo bottom woods mm-hmm. ben shoots a doe with a rage hypodermic text me hey i shot a doe which is i was super super pumped for him and uh, we get down, and we're looking, 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 looking. We f- start finding blood. We lose blood. Find blood, lose blood. And finally, it's just like, I mean, where this thing can't. It, it's not like he got a, abducted by aliens, you know. It's got to yeah. be here somewhere. And we we didn't find it that night. He went back with a dog the next day and found it. Ben, how far was that deer from where you and I had given up looking for him? Oh, he was. I mean, she was a uh, man. She was probably a hundred plus at least. Probably over a hundred yards. And I mean, so, she ran, she ran, and she didn't stop running. This is a deer yep. that's lived her whole life within a seventy-five acre tract of land. Like she, like it's the Truman Show. Like there's a boundary of how far she can go. Like the, before she mm-hmm. goes off set. Okay, and so right. if if this was a if this was on a larger piece of property on like public land or something like that to where he, he got 20,000 acres to run. You just pick a direction and go as far as you possibly can. Ben, I couldn't believe how far this deer ran within the, the track that we were on. Um, and I, I, I wasn't there with you when he, when he found it. So I don't remember what the shot was, but what was that shot like, Ben? Where did you hit it? Where'd it come out? All that stuff. It, man, it was, it was in the right. What happened was when she came out, the uh, little spike came out first and then she came out after and she walked 20 yards. She got in front, straight in front of me at 20 yards and I shot. And when I shot, I missed that. I hit a branch and it clipped the branch and it went over. It went right over her back. So then I hurried up uh, and I grabbed another arrow. And when I shot the second shot, she was probably 30, 35 yards. And she was kind of barely quartering to me, like barely, like that. It wasn't, it wasn't, she wasn't facing straight at me, you know? Yeah. So, I I, I mean, she was barely turning, and I, I tucked it in. It went in right behind the shoulder, and it came out, you know, kind of in front of the gut. It came out pretty much in the gut, but, like, towards the front of the gut, you know? Almost yeah. liver. Gotcha. And it's that just that, because I had two experiences with that. I had that experience, and before that, I don't know if you remember, I shot a doe probably two weeks before that I actually shot two and they were both quartering away. So, I mean, a quarter and two me. So those three occasions right there, I learned that if I don't have to take a quarter and two shots, 
I'm not gonna take it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't I'm wait. Don't if you I'm don't. I'm gonna wait. Yeah. That's a hard lesson. I mean, if there's if if there's anything you can learn from other people's, um, you know, bad experiences, it's that. I mean. It, it's something that unfortunately people learn through experience rather than what other people say, like, don't do it. But when you're in the moment and that doe is staring at you or she has you pinned in the tree or she's quartering towards you or standing straight at you, man, you're almost better off not shooting her or any deer quartering to than you are, than you are shooting. I mean, there's just such a low percentage. If we we wouldn't have had a dog, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have found that deer. I mean, and it was Dennis, Dennis Jenkins. I mean, mm-hmm. that that dog he had was he that was dog good. was bad to the bone. That dog went straight to the deer. I mean, yeah. didn't even he. They actually left us. He. I mean, they took off running through the woods, and me and, and Nick was with me. Nick came with me, and I mean, they were probably 50, 60 yards in front of us, yeah. running through the woods. I mean, that's how fast that dog was on that deer. If we, but I mean, if we wouldn't have had that dog, it, it would have been a nightmare. Hey guys, this is the Louisiana Bowhunter Shop of the Week brought to you by Tacticam. Today we're on the phone with B-Bob Petrus from TP Outdoors in West Monroe. B-Bob, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your shop, where you're located, and, and what you've got. So we're right here in West Monroe, Louisiana, at the foot of the Louisville Bridge. It's probably the easiest way to find us. Yeah, we have a, a full archery counter. We carry all of the Matthews and Mission line. And along with our crossbows, we have Raven, Ten Point, some of the Carbon Express, and of course, we also still have the Mission line as well. So tell me about your staff there. Who do you have working in the archery department? Man, we have a great staff. And just at this store, we have uh, probably the most notable is Mr. Rodney Denton. He's been with us, I guess, almost 15 years now. And before he was with us, he was with Outfitters, another store here for I don't know how long. I know he's got over 20 years in the archery business, though, for sure. Gotcha. So he's definitely a good person to trust your bow with. Anything else you want to uh, tell us about your shop before we jump off? We can pretty much do anything. We can shoot in here. We can tune bows, set you up, get you ready to get out there. Perfect. Hey, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks. All right, guys. That's the Bow Shop of the Week, TP Outdoors, West Monroe, brought to you by Tacticam. Y'all check them out. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's let's get back to open and day preparations, right? Locke, you uh, you're a little bit ahead of us in this, so I'm gonna ask you this first. Yep. But did you bring anything that you're glad you brought that you almost didn't bring, or did you not bring something that you wish you did on your hunt? Well, I guess kind of one of the low hanging fruits, and, and maybe it's really not, but um it's still warm even up north even though we had a little cooler weather and it's a little cooler i'm glad i brought my thermosel because that remains a handy tool apparently anywhere you go um and i'm also glad that i tested my thermosel because i've had opening days opening weeks early season hunts where my thermosel been sitting up since the springtime and maybe i didn't have all the replacement stuff i thought you know yeah uh you know but whatever i I had that geared up and ready to go, and I used that. Um, you know, other than that, it was really my typical. Um, I, I tried to be, because I you know, I do a lot of filming, and we talked about that, and, and in this case, I had a cameraman. So that gave me the chance to get a little bit more minimalist than I normally am mm-hmm. with all the crap that I pack in the woods. So 
Um, you know, a couple of things I brought that I didn't need that I guess in my mind, it just goes in my back gloves, didn't need gloves. Cause it was way too warm for that. Um, I had a net gator that would serve like as a face mask, a lightweight, you know, I didn't need that. I mean, maybe I could have used it, but I wasn't going to, cause it was warm. Um, you know, uh, but other than that, I, I didn't take much, man, just a bow hanger and, um, you know, my release and just my, my basic. Cause I, I actually mentioned to my cameraman a couple of times that it's, it's always weird for me in the early season. Cause like last year I didn't even hunt until November. I didn't hunt any early season last year. And it's, you know, you, you hunt early season and you're hunting for a very defined time. You know, it's either that early morning movement through after daylight or that late evening going to feed and all the other trip, uh, you know, tactics and scent and, and calls and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're useless. So you, you don't have a reason to bring them and you kind of just sitting there waiting on that little small defined time. So, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I threw a couple extra things, like I said, that just seemed like they're, they're part of the uniform, you know, gloves, face masks, all that kind of stuff. And it was warm and it was really green and really thick. And to be honest with you, everywhere I hunted with the exception of the edge of the bean fields, um, if I was going to get a shot of the deer, that deer was so close that gloves and face masks wasn't going to hide me. All it was going to do was make me sweat, you know? Yeah. So I didn't really need that. It was better for me to, to stay cooler and more comfortable than, than some of that kind of stuff. So, you know, just, uh, we never got smelled. We hunted the wind, right. So took care of our clothes, just kind of the typical way, use a scent crusher bag before we went out, sprayed down. Um, I got a little small portable scent spray roll on and a little spray bottle kind of reapply that once i get in the stand to kind of knock out maybe some of the sweat and mm-hmm. just kind of roll with it man speaking of uh speaking speaking of scent crusher bags that's something i uh i've been been wanting to to, to bring up so um i had one of those and uh it was neat but i never would use it like inside the bag I never would use a little ozone generator pump thing with yeah. the hose in the bag. I, I just never would do it. And um, and so in my new house, I have a uh, like a, a large closet area in the garage. And, um, you know, I, I'm a guy that is like I'm one of those guys that needs a, a shop, like a garage. I could probably use a 20 by 50 shop and fill it out with everything I need, but I don't have one. Like I just have a regular garage. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've always, I keep saying, I keep saying, a big shop like that. man, I keep saying <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have one. And then I keep buying houses that don't have it. And so anyway, um, I, uh, I, 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 I commandeered the whole garage. I was like, I told my wife, you, you have the whole house garage is mine. And, um, I took that little pump, ozone generator and i i I put up um shelving in this little room it's it's probably like six foot by eight feet like it's like a big closet right and um and that's my hunting room i call it my scent free room it's where the um it's where the uh the breaker is for the house um and other than that it holds my deer stands it holds my um, all my hunting clothes, my bow. I've got everything hung up in there um, to where I can um, I can uh, run that little pump thing. Like I'll run it like thirty or forty five minutes before a hunt, and um, 
and when I get in there, you know, everything's, I don't want to say it's decented or anything, but, um, it's all, you know, as, as I, scent I free as bad. it could be, you know, I have the, I actually have the scent crusher closet that they make the little hanging, that, hanging fabric closet. Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah my, my wife got me one, uh, as a gift, a birthday or, or Christmas or something. And it's in my office and all my clothes and my boots and my backpack, all my soft good stuff. I don't put my bow and stuff like that in there, but, um, my soft good stuff stays in there all the time. And I usually will run it right before I pack my, my box and my bag up to go on a trip or go on a hunt. And then, you know, the scent crusher bag, like you're talking about, and I'll say this, we're talking about preseason prep. And if people are looking to like do something different then I've, I, you know, I've been doing this with the scent crusher thing for, I guess, three years now, really since scent crusher got, you know, really popular and had, you know, the products out on the market three or four years. And I'll say this, I, I absolutely despise washing my hunting clothes. I don't want to wear them out. I don't want to fade them. Um, I, you know, I wash my hunting clothes as minimal as possible, which really is usually right after turkey season and maybe once during deer season, unless they get really bloody. And I will say this, and this is, you know, I don't know what it means to a deer, but I can tell you like on, on a hunt, like I just came off of where I come in from a, an evening hunt and, you know, walking out and all that. And it's obvious, you know, my entire collar's ringing wet with sweat and my shirt smells like sweat. I can sit, I can let that dry out and which I'm using Merino wool and that helps a little bit too, but, um, I can dry it out and scent crush it. And to the human nose, when you pull it out, the, the sweat smells gone mm-hmm. 100%. Now that doesn't help you from the time you get ready to go until the time you encounter a deer on your hunt, but it at least gets you started on the hunt with, you know, some scent control. You still got to spray down you, you know, it's like someone told me it's like a battery meter. If you do all this prep work, you start out by getting dressed to go hunting and your battery meters at a hundred and that's 100%, you know, scent eliminated, so to speak on your garments. Well, once you put them on your body, that meter starts draining down yeah. and, and the weather and everything to, it determines how fast that drains happening, but you're going from a hundred percent to, you know, whatever. So there's obviously more things that you have to do to slow that time down. Cause you're reapplying scent from your body. As soon as you start to use this stuff that you've prepped, you know, so, but so for me, I think the scent crusher stuff, the best I can tell my clothes smell just as clean and if I don't have stains or something like that that just makes them dirty, my my clothes are just as clean and smell just as fresh and prepped and ready to go as if I washed them. And I'm not having to run them through the cycle. So I'm not, you know, putting wear and tear on my garments. So I, I'm a big believer in the scent crusher, especially early season. So, Ben, what uh, tell us tell us what's in your bag. What are you what are you packing in with you this uh, this next week? Uh in the heat, I'll probably bring. I'll bring my binos. I bring my rangefinder and my bow hanger and um, probably some tie straps and a pin. <laughs> that's that's about it. I, I, I'm trying to stay as light as possible, you know, because the more you yeah. bring, the more you're gonna sweat, the more load you're gonna have. So, I mean, I'll have that. I have a I have my harness on. I have my stand. And, I, I, this year, I really, I'm, I'm really thinking about switching to three sticks instead of four sticks. I am there with you. 
I agree. Just, I, I, just because, I mean, I, I have long legs. I, I can get as high as I need to be with three sticks. I, I really, I really think that. Well, I, I mean, I don't. When you said that your your hawk heliums are unmodified, I'll tell you right now, if you take um, you take three sticks, and you remove the center steps out of three sticks, you'll save a pound and a half. Okay. Yep. And you leave the center steps steps on your fourth stick, and that fourth stick will be your top stick. That's the one you hang last because you need that the you know that mid adjustment when you're hanging a stand. Sometime you don't want to have to stretch twenty seven inches, twenty eight inches in steps yeah. to to hang yeah. a stand. And so, um, but I'm there with you, man. I think I'm going to go to three six this year, and I'm going to do. I already use a cheater step, and I'm going to do two cheater steps. I am way too much of a coward to use a cheater step above maybe i don't know eight or ten feet um but i think if i i have a cheater step system where it stays open um if you step straight down your foot is always within the rope so you're not having to like find the hole to put your foot in in the dark and all that stuff and you're yeah, coming down yeah. um but but i'm are you going to do a cheater step you doing two cheater steps or are you just going to three sticks and a cheater step I'll probably do three sticks and one cheetah step. Yeah. Just because I feel like I, I you know, a, a lot, a, a lot of the trees I get in is, it's thick trees, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and then I, I, I mean, I space the sticks. I mean, they're pretty far apart. I have, you, you know, me and Chris, we got long legs. I yep. mean, I can get up there, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a problem of stretching them out. Yeah. And it, I mean, the, the last two years I've hunted with four sticks and I've, this year, I'm thinking like, you know, why, why am I hunting with four sticks when I would probably be fine with three sticks and a cheetah step, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you hunt in the right, I don't, I don't hunt mobily like you guys do, but I, I, I use a lot of the same mindset when I'm picking where I'm going to hang my stands to hunt, obviously. And I, I have grown in my, uh, my hunting career to kind of i've just kind of come to the idea and i and i just believe this that i've was conditioned almost like the insurance policy of the thick of the um expandable broadhead that the higher i get the greater insurance that is mm-hmm. and yep. i think if you yep. pick the right tree and you know how to hunt and you hunt the right way i can get 15 to 20 feet and be deadly yep you know well, that's, that's another have, thing like like now we get into me and, and chris and nick and all of us we get to the point where we're dialing in our good areas, you know? So, I mean, we know, we know where they're coming from. You don't have to get yeah. high to, to, you know, to get you sent as high as you can yeah. to where they're not smelling. You know, we can play, yeah. we can get in the right tree and they're not going to smell us. It doesn't matter yeah. how high you, you are. Yeah. You make a good point. It reminds me of something else that I've been wanting to do. There's two things and I might do this this year because I'm, I'm like, like anti-products guy. I have products. Uh, and, and the other thing is I don't have a full set of anything. Like I don't have like all one branded. This is all I hunt it. I'll, I'll, I, w- I will mix mossy oak and real tree together. Like, like it's, a, Oh yeah. I've seen <laughs> like it's a jacket. <laughs> coat. All right. Like I have no shame. And, um, but I also am at the point now where I've killed enough deer. I've had deer close enough, often enough to where I really feel I could be in a yellow banana suit and they would not have seen me. And that isn't because of my height. It's because I am in a concealed area, meaning like maybe I'm 
Um, maybe I'm one uh, limb or two limbs above the tree, above their line of sight, where I'm not below the limb. I'm above the limb, so I have that in between me and the deer. But um, I think this year, there's three things I'm seriously considering doing. Number one is not running trail cameras at all. Not maybe we'll check that, save that for another episode. But I don't think I'm going to run trail cameras whatsoever. I think I'm just going to straight up go in blind everywhere I go and just see how it happens. Um, and because most of the time, all the deer that I kill are not the ones that I'm seeing on cameras anyway. You know, especially on public land. So you know. Well, I've been I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. Like when you go in the woods, I mean, that's that's one of my biggest mistakes is I'm going to one defined area. Yeah. And I think that I'm holding myself back where I should be, you know, sc- like scouting while I hunt. Yeah. And yeah, when yeah. I find the right area, that's when I should pop up. You should be there right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. I shouldn't be worried. Like if I, if I go scout and I find this area, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to come back, you know, next weekend or something. So I think, uh, you know, I have a theory, um, psychologically, I think trail cameras, um, I think they get us pumped up and excited for the next hunt because we feel like as human beings, we like to control things, right? Like the, we're yep. the great ruiners of, of everything. Things are perfect when we find them. We're like, ah, oh, we can make this better. And then we end up breaking it. And so, um, well, yeah, then you keep, you keep going in there and checking them and exactly. So trail you, cameras, you're making it worse. Trail cameras are an escape mentally from our work day or our lives. Sometimes it's a fantasy land. It's the potentiality of something. It's like, Oh, I could have been there. I could have killed this deer, but my camera got it instead. Okay. Um, we know the deer are in the woods. If the deer aren't in the woods, then that would be a good reason to run trail cameras to see when they're yeah. coming back. <laughs> okay. But trail cameras just seem to be confirming that what we already know, which is that deer live in the woods and so um i'm i think i'm gonna not run trail cameras this year which there's a a bigger reason for why it's because i'm freaking slammed i started a new company i'm working at 18 19 hours a day i don't have time to do the um all of the like the, the 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 stuff i love about deer hunting which is the scouting it's the preparation it's the whole like burn two and a half three days friday saturday sunday you know deer hunting and doing everything involved in deer hunting i love that stuff but it's a time suck i don't have time for it this year i do have time to hunt and i am good at hunting so i think i'm just going to do that more and just be more surprised and happy with what i see or don't see so that's number one number two i'm very seriously considering only hunting in solid neutral colors um Man, I've been thinking about doing the, uh, and I'm not saying it just because you're saying it, but I've been thinking about doing the same thing. Just tan brown colors. Just neutrals, browns, tans, um, and uh, almost just as an, an extra challenge. You know, if anything, it gives the deer a little bit more of an advantage, especially if you're pinpointed, right? And then you really can't move. Um, and then number three is, um, and this, I had, Locke, I hadn't told you this, but like, I'm serious. Like I'm seriously considering picking up an old Jennings bow or an a, old mm-hmm. whitetail two with with um, literal cable cables like steel cables. Yeah. I am very seriously considering going to a, a massively outdated technology just to prove that it's not the bow, it's the person. Well, this is coming from the guy who dedicated an entire season to traditional just because not too long ago. Yeah. And, and, and also the guy who self self 
uh, proclaimed that was the least, the most fun he never wants to have again. So you just, you just do whatever makes you happy, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm not, I'm in no way, shape or form. Am I saying like, I'm a master of this. This is too easy. Like, but it is fun to inject, yeah. you know, some, oh, some yeah. different I, things yeah. in there, you know, like, well, there's a video on, uh, y'all, do y'all follow the hunt public? Uh, I a do bit. a little bit. Yeah. There's a video from last year. They went in. They went into a Walmart. It, it was towards the end of the season. I think it was around January, maybe. They but they went into a Walmart and they bought like a they bought like a two hundred three hundred dollar bow uh-huh. with the bare minimum. Like they might have bought three arrows for it, and just they kind of half ass tuned it to to their liking. And he went shoot a doe like two days later. That's awesome. Just yep. to prove, you know, I'm, like it, it doesn't. If 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 you're yeah. worried about not being able to afford bow hunting, that's not an well, excuse. We, I mean, you we can talked still about kill this. Animal. We talked about this last episode. I mean, it's it's all nice, and we all love it. The this this whole archery industry, but I mean, when it comes right down to it, as Kyler so eloquently put it, when shit gets real, you got to be a hunter. You got to be in the right position. You got to be able to right to make oh, those. No doubt those decisions and, and execute those, those little things that are going to make a lethal shot, um, at the moment of truth. And you can do that with, you know, our grandfathers and, and those before us all the way back to the sticks and strings have been doing it and doing it successfully. It didn't take a, you know, a, a, a some kind of new cam system and 300 feet per second and all that. So, uh, you know, it's it's I've entertained the same idea, Kyler, because for the same reason, it's kind of like I just want to prove to myself I can do. It. I mean, I know I did it when I was 13 or 14 years old. That little, you know, first bow that my dad got me that would shoot fast enough to legally hunt with. I killed deer with it. Yep. And nowadays, if I went out and shot that thing in the backyard and my 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 little boy is 10 years old and he's got a little diamond youth bow that's set up just like a real bow. And it's it's meant to to train kids to shoot a real compound not just a toy bow but that little bow he's shooting is way more powerful than what i was shooting at 14 or 15 you know way back when and the only thing that stopped me from doing that is just simply the time to get a bow and and get it set up and shoot it enough to to ethically go out in the woods and hunt with it you know that's but i i feel that same thing man i I think it would be I, I'm I would I'm more in tune with you on that idea than than the trad thing. I mm-hmm. not not in not doing the trad thing, but dedicating my entire season to it. Yeah. Well, uh, look, I'll say this and then I think we should start wrapping it up because we did make a vert. We all agreed we weren't going to do like a crazy two hour episode this time. And we're uh, all yeah, we had like an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Well, you know, that's all right. We, hey, I'm we, just driving, dude. So, um. Yeah, that drive is brutal. I mean, that's, that's it's, it's terrible. Here's the thing: is that Louisiana bow hunter exists to make bow hunters better at bow hunting. Okay, nothing that I just said says Louisiana bow hunter exists so that you have the best equipment so, so you can blame it when it goes wrong. Okay, we, we like we want you to be the best hunter you can be. Part of that is admitting the fact that you aren't that great of a hunter right now. You just just eat mm-hmm. that shit sandwich and say, okay, I can do better. Like, I can up my skills. And we blame equipment a lot, 
people blame broadheads, people blame bows, people blame D loops, people blame anything that they can blame because a bow doesn't talk back. Okay. But the reality yeah. is, is that if, if your bow tech is shooting bullet holes and you pick up your bow and paper tune it yourself and you're shooting a hard tear to the right or the left, that's not your bow tech's fault. It's also not your bow's fault. That's your fault. You don't shoot your bow properly. You should ask your bow tech how to shoot your bow properly. And yeah. then, and then, and yeah. then, yeah. And so we got, you know, like I said, somebody said the other day, oh man, this shop didn't tune my bow worth the shit, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and he shoots his bow and he's twerking the hell out of it. You know, like he's lucky his string's not coming off the cam, but he's blaming the bow tech because the bow tech isn't there to defend himself. And so, right. um, we, we, number one, we have to start acknowledging the fact that we are the only ones that are determiners of whether or not we're going to be successful, not our equipment. Our equipment doesn't put us in the right tree. Our equipment doesn't, you know, pick which WMA we're going to hunt. You, the human element is a major factor, the biggest factor in bow hunting. But for some reason, we don't like to admit this. All right. Because people mm-hmm. don't like to admit that they're flawed. I mean, I'll do, I'll come out and say it right Dang. now. Last year I had a terrible year. I shot, I shot two deer last year. Yeah. And it was two does. I mean, I shot one in Missouri and one down here. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, some people make excuses and I mean, there's no excuses for that. It's just, you know, I had there's a bad not. year. I didn't make the right decisions. Uh, work picked up and I just, that, that shouldn't give you a reason to not, to not go out there, you know? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, you should, you should enjoy yourself, but, um, yeah, but don't to avoid Kyler's it. point to Kyler's point. Uh, I'll just throw one thing out there on that. If for all the people, both in the shop where I used to work and in general that have told me a story about making a perfect shot and couldn't find the deer and it just ran off and there was no blood. Uh, the, the only answer is no, you didn't. Yeah, there's because, no but after the perfect shot. No, like if I don't care if you were using a Muzzy or a Rage or a Reaper or a Wasp or if you shot Easton's or if you shot Victories or you shot old Aluminum Eras or if you had a new bow or an old bow, if, you, if, if you're telling me that you put it right behind her shoulder and she run off and you trailed her for 500 yards with very little blood, and you're still standing behind the fact that you made a good shot and something with your equipment just messed it up and it didn't kill her. The answer is you're wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. No offense. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you put you anything in wrong. that area, in that bottle, yeah. it's, it's going it, to die. It, it, I mean, it, yeah. It, it doesn't matter what equipment you're using. If you make a good shot and, and, and the arrow goes into the vitals, it, it's going to kill the deer and you're most likely going to find it unless it goes into some geography that you can't access yeah th- and it's not the kennedy bullet you know no. you know yep. where it, it takes a hard right you know 90 degrees mm-hmm. or anything like that i mean that that can't yeah. happen you you i have i have had deer that i've shot where it hits some, hits the lower part of the spine yeah. or you're a deflex off a rib and it takes a 30 degree change in direction or whatever where um uh you know that that does happen um, but even in that kyler even in that if you break that down, let's like look at that like an NFL instant replay with 30 different high-definition cameras. That If you just want a, a dose of, of hard truth and humble pie, if you had that replay system on your shot, there was something that you didn't account for. That deer was slightly quartered more than you, than you remember it in your mind. That deer was four or five yards further than maybe you thought or four or five yards closer than maybe you thought. And maybe it was a good shot. But it wasn't perfect. You didn't just make a perfect shot and your equipment failed you. Something wasn't yeah, something as you wasn't perceived right. it. Your execution 
failed you. And it may have been an absolute millimeter of success or fail, but nevertheless, it was it it was you. It was your execution. Like, Something wasn't as you perceived it, or you would have killed the deer. Well, like a perfect ben, shot kills the deer every like time. Ben said, like Ben said, um, you know, he he's not going to shoot quartering two shots anymore. No, I was about to say that goes back to the quartering yeah, two shots. I, 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 you, I, you miss you miss a half an inch. And, and it looks good. It looks really good too. That's the thing is when you make that shot, just to, to add on to that comment, it looks really good. Especially oh, when dude, that deer is just barely I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like you hit you hit solid and everything, but and, when you yep, get down to the ground and you start looking for blood, it's not yeah. nope, it's not any, what you expect. Anytime <laughs> I and, and we, we I won't even limit it to quartering two, but any time that you have an exit out the gut of any yep. type, I would I would um, advise against it, and and I'm hoping there are people that are listening now that that they're like, oh well, you know, I don't know, I, I might shoot it anyway. But I hope you don't lose a deer. I don't. I hope you don't have to call a tracking service. I don't. I hope you don't lose you know a blood trail and lose the deer of a lifetime because unfortunately that is the way that people learn these lessons is going through that stuff. And like I said earlier, it's hard to learn from other people's mistakes. It's hard to learn other people's lessons that you haven't gone through yourself. And I would just say right now, broadside or quartering away need to be the only two shots in your, in your magazine that you're going to shoot. And that's it. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, quartering two is a heartbreak. I learned two, two years ago. I learned that. I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. I mean, yep. Well, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting, I'm not hitting the trigger until it's broadside. And since then, I mean, I've shot the deer. I've shot they've been either quartering away or straight broadside. You no, know, you, you've heard me say this a lot now, Ben, and you know we've talked about this in the past. But like I keep saying, podcast after podcast, there are stages to deer hunting, and and the the stages to deer hunting, it doesn't just come from. Um, you know, how good you get at it. It's also the wisdom that you learn over your bad experiences. It's, it's knowing when not to shoot is sometimes more important than knowing when to shoot. And, oh, definitely. And so, definitely. Um, anyway, uh, you know, that's, uh, the I, thing is with Bowen, everything is such a big learning curve. Oh yeah. And I mean, by any means, I'm not a pro. I mean, nobody's really a pro in Bowen until, you know, you always learning something. Yeah. There's always something you can learn from from every Those situations the same and that's the curve yeah. never the curve never stays the same because you learn something and then you go hunt a, a, a different height a different elevation change a different weather and the and all of a sudden the curve is completely different because everything that you figured out out of that one stand and that one shot location it's completely different for the next hunt you make yeah Yep, yep. Well, uh, look, let's let's wrap it up, guys. Um, anything else that you want to add about equipment? I, I'm going to go over a quick list of stuff um, for the bags, just a quick checklist. Um, you got anything else you want to add before we end it? Don't. I, I say in early season, this is obvious. We all have the obvious things, the optics, the release, the, you know, thermocell. But take water. Yes. And don't forget your pull up rope because Yeah, you beat me. That was one of mine. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna be I was gonna be a little bit more official and say there's too many people have damaged their equipment or hurt themselves because they're excited about making that early season hunt and they get there and they don't have a pull up rope and they try to get in the stand with one hand yep. because they don't wanna have to mess their hunt up and go back and get their rope. Don't don't do that. Don't drop your bow, destroy your bow, and worse off, don't drop yourself and break your leg because then you'll never make up that early season hunt. All right. So yep. 
So let, then, let's then let's you'll break, be off for the year. Let's break into yep. this list. So first thing on your list, safety harness, right? Uh, yes, ben, absolutely. Ben, you just got absolutely. a new one. I think you said you got a hawk one. I'm not familiar with that yep. one. So safety harness, always safety harness, always, always, always safety harness. Uh, I know a lot of people have already hung stands, but a good um, a good thing to get in the habit of, especially if you're buying a safety harness every couple of years, use your old one to hang sets and sweat it all out in the summertime for hanging hanging stands, and then use your new one for hunting. Keep it scent free. Yep. All right. Number two, um, I would invest in a good lineman's belt, like a, a rope style lineman's belt. There's a um, a really cool thing called a, a, a Rope Man One, which is a um, it's a, a it replaces the Prusik knot, um, and it is uh, one-handed rope adjustment for a lineman's belt, and a lot of the saddle hunters use it. It's a really cool accessory. It's a climbing accessory for uh, mountain climbing. Um, good lineman's belt, good safety harness, must-haves. Do not get off the ground without your safety harness. I cannot say that any clearer. If you forget your harness, do not climb in your tree stand. It is not worth it. Your family loves you. It is not worth you falling. Um, and then as far as other gear goes, um, just, you, you, you said the pull-up rope. That's one that I've forgotten a couple of times, like an idiot and I always feel stupid about it. I have two pull-up ropes in my bag for that reason. I have a spare that's tucked away in a back pocket that is there as my hero when I forget my, my big one, my main one. Um, and then, um, pull-up rope and then toilet paper, thermosel, water, <laughs> dude wipes. Yeah. <laughs> water. And, um, and then, um, man, that's, I think that's really it for me. Um, uh, and another thing is, uh, it. making sure you, you stand is, is quiet. Make sure you got your setup, yeah. you know, make sure you practice setting up your stand. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for hopping on Ben, um, lock. I hope you made it home safe. Um, are you home now? I'm, um, I'm about 45 minutes to an hour from home. Okay, so stay, I'm getting there. Stay awake, um, because I need you to post this tomorrow. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm good, and other and other reasons. Yeah. How brutal is driving through Arkansas? Oh my god, it feels oh like god. Arkansas is about never stop because you drive you drive through every square foot like diagonally from the southeast corner straight into the <laughs> yes. northwest corner. You go through the entire state. Long it is ways. terrible. Yeah. It's miserable. It's, like, it's miserable. Like measuring a television, corner to corner. It right? is. Yeah. yeah. It is. <laughs> all right. Well, let's hop off here, man. Be safe. Ben, thanks for joining us, buddy. And good luck on Tuesday when you go, all right? No problem, right, man. Y'all too. All right, man. See you. Good luck, everybody. Bye. Later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.